Good morning again. That was a good song, wasn't it? I never heard that before. Anybody new? Is that new to anybody else besides me? Yeah. Put it on our playlist, John. Well, for too many people, Earth Day is just simply a day we pretend to care about the Earth. This cartoon, I'm afraid, says it so well for some of us. On Earth Day, we are riding our bike. On the every other day, we're driving our SUV, SUV and just not caring that much. So hopefully, as a result of today, we'll see every day as Earth Day. Earth Day is kind of like prom in that every Earth Day has a theme. And this theme for this year is invest in our planet. So Philip, what does Earth Day have to do with our series, What If Christians Were Christian? I'm asking the same question. And so the title of this teaching today is, What Does Christ Have to Do With Creation? What does caring for the environment have to do with following Christ? Because environmental concern has not always been a Christian concern. It's normally our care for the environment has not been a part of the introduction to what we believe section of a new members class at most churches. Now, there are some even who say you can't be a Christian and believe in climate change. In my background in the church world, my environment had a very suspicious nature when it came to science. We were science skeptics because we were scared. We were afraid that science might come up with a fact or discovery that contradicted our interpretation of Scripture. And when science came up with a discovery or a fact that did contradict our interpretation, well, guess what we let go of and what we hang on to? We let go of the science and hang on to the Scripture or our interpretation of it. We've done that in history with the earth orbiting the sun as it was taught that the sun was orbiting the earth. We've done it with the age of the earth. We've done it with the age of the universe. We've done it with the presence of the human species upon the planet. We're just afraid of science because our faith is very, very fragile. And our faith is really not built so much on the person of Jesus as it is on other stuff. In fact... 99.9% according to a study by Cornell University in 2021 of climate scientists believe that humans do have a role in climate change. And even though 99.9% of climate scientists believe that, this is in 2015, according to the Pew Research, only 35% of Protestants believe that, 24% of white evangelical Christians. Now, let me make a correction. That was 2015, those last two statistics, 35 and the 24. I read an article last night before, or rather after everything was put into the uh, technical world uh, by Pew Research, and 
Now then, 76% of all Americans believe that humans do contribute to climate change and 54% of evangelicals. So yay, evangelicals. <laughs> From 2015 to 2022, it's gone up like 20-something percent. Did I do my math right? No, more than that, 30-something percent. That's huge. We're still behind the scientists. Evangelicals, and I, I don't want to bash any group. I can kind of bash evangelicals because I was an evangelical for 45 years. And we were just afraid of it. Afraid of science. So, somehow Christianity has become, if not hostile to environmental concern, at least indifferent to environmental concern. So I want us to go back a little bit to the Hebrew story, the Hebrew myth of creation. It's a beautiful story. And uh, about seven times in those first two chapters, we see this phrase, and God saw good, as he looked at, as she looked at creation, God saw good, and kind of look at those words a little bit. The word good in the Hebrew language is mazel. You've heard the phrase mazel tov, good luck, or good fortune, mazel. And that word mazel means not just good, but it means beautiful. Denise, you look mazel today. Or it means for your own good, for the benefit of something, that everything's working the way it should work. So when God looked at nature and the environment, everything was working the way it should work. And it was beautiful and it was good. And then this word saw is a pretty cool word in the Hebrew. There's a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense in that one Hebrew word. So it's a pretty wide scope of things. In the Hebrew language, there's a little two-letter word before uh, mazel, before the word good, and it's T-I transliterated into English, and it's like an exclamation point. And so really what that text says, God saw, sees, and will see good. And it was like, it was a shout for the entire universe or multiverse to hear. It is good. My question today, though, is if when God saw nature and the environment working the way it should work, what does God see now? Is the environment working the way it should work? Are the creations working the way they should work? Maybe not. And what we have done to the planet, we have done to space. Go back in time. Henry David Thoreau was born in 1817. He died in 1862. And he said, thank God men cannot fly and lay waste the sky as well as the earth. Yeah, even in those days, he was concerned about what we were doing to the planet. And he was just thankful we couldn't do that to the sky. But right now, 
zipping around our planet are hundreds of thousands of man-made objects. You want to talk trash talk? We have trashed not just the planet, we have trashed space. There are dead satellites, there are nuts and bolts and tools, there are garbage bags. NASA says there's even a spatula floating around out there. <laughs> Pampered staff needs to clean it up, I guess. You know, we just don't take care of the planet, and now then we're not taking care of the space. It's just like we don't give a rip. And it is a risk, the space junk, to present-day flights. And that's a concern for all those companies that are flying out there. But it should be a concern just for people that love God and that love the environment. There's an astronomer at a University of Warwick in England who says, you know, it's about the space trash. We created this risk ourselves. We have the responsibility to clean it up. Let's go on with the story. God created humankind in his, her own image. As bearers of God's image. Doesn't it not make sense that humans then would have a responsibility to care for what God has created? I wonder if we've dropped the ball. This story, the story of creation is varied and diverse in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. Most scholars believe there's one story written at one time in Genesis 1. There's another story written by other people in another time in Genesis 2. And the language so speaks to that. But Genesis 2 says the Lord God took the man, and that word man is not one single man. It's the word Adam, and it's the man for word for mankind, humanity. So God took, and this is just the story of, as the Hebrew people would tell it, and it's just a beautiful myth, and placed mankind in the orchard in Eden to care for, look at that word, care, and to maintain it. That word care literally means to watch over. Our job is to watch over the environment. The word maintain is used throughout the Hebrew scriptures, and most of the time it is translated not maintain, it is translated to serve. So God took man, placed him in the garden to serve the garden. Wow, that's a switch, isn't it? We think the planet's here to serve us, but it's not. We are here to serve the planet. Hmm. My gosh. Yeah, I think we've dropped the ball. Oh, don't, don't go too fast. I'm ready to get out of here too, aren't you? I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Just speed through this thing. I, I am so hungry before church started. God, I can't wait for communion. I'm going to have a double dose. <laughs> Thirsty too. I don't have my tea. Thank you, dear. Y'all met Denise. (laughs) (laughs) 
So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. A particular group of people really love this verse because they interpret it like the onceler, just cut down all the trees. We can subdue it, we can rule it. We can do with it what we want. So let's look at those words a little bit. That word that is translated, oh my gosh, to subdue right there in the second line of Genesis 1.28 is the Greek is the Hebrew word kabosh. We we use that a lot, like uh, put the kabosh on it, put an end to it. Literally, the word kabosh means to put your foot on something. And it was used in battle when the conqueror would put their foot on the neck of the enemy, kabosh. And so a lot of people look at that and say, yeah, well, that's what we can do to the earth. We can do that to the oceans, do that to the trees, do that to the air, just put our foot on it, control it, subdue it. But maybe there's another meaning to it. Maybe it's not so much the Lorax story of the ones who are cutting down on the trees, putting their foot on the tree. Maybe it's more like a teacher who is facing a classroom full of wild and crazy students. And they are out of control. And so this teacher has to get control of the situation. And so the teacher very calmly controls the students, subdues the students, quiets the students for their good, for their benefit, and it's a beautiful thing. It's not a tyrant like we've communicated that word to be. It's not a Putin as a tyrant killing people and destroying things. It is a a kind, patient teacher bringing control over a bunch of crazy kids in the classroom. I like that interpretation. Let's go back. Uh, The word rule, rule over the fish of the sea. That is a word that is rodaz, the Hebrew word, and it literally means to descend, to go down. It is the idea of get off your high horse. A ruler who goes down. Wouldn't it be nice to have a boss, the ruler of your company, who would serve you, who would descend from their high horse and actually communicate with and connect with and serve the employees? If you go with me to Psalm 72, this is a psalm at the coronation of Solomon as king of Israel. And it says, may he, look at that word rule. Does anybody want to guess where else that word rule is found? Yeah, Genesis 1.28. Let them rule. Solomon ruled from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. And then the psalm goes on to describe what this rule looks like. I got to turn around here because the prince bigger. He will rescue the poor when they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy, and he will rescue them. 
He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious to him. What a ruler that is. What a leader that is. My gosh, I wish the venues had a pastor like that. (laughs) Don't you wish your company had a president and CEO like that? Wouldn't it be nice if every president of every country on the planet had a leader like that? Like that? Wouldn't it be nice if we treated the world like that? You see, I think when the writer of Genesis 1.28 used that word, rule, I think the writer had this in mind. We rule underneath. So what does that have to do with Jesus? That's a great question. I am so glad you asked that. That has so much to do with Jesus. Because we are to rule the planet. We are to lead the planet the way Jesus leads us. Do you all remember, it's told by a couple of the gospel writers, the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. And Jesus heard them. And he says, hey, guys, just cool it. You know, that's not how we do it. He said everybody else in the world does it that way. The leader is the one that lords their authority over everybody else and and even uses their authority in abusive ways. But he said, not so with us. Then he said the clincher. The one among you that will be the greatest is the one who will serve the others. The servant is the greatest. Not the one who is served, but the one who serves the other. We have got to get in our mind that this planet doesn't exist to serve us. The language is so clear. We are here to serve the earth. Not to control it as a tyrant, but as a loving school teacher. Changes my mind. Changes my attitude. What else does Jesus have to do with creation? John writes in the Gospel of John, Well, all things came into being through him, through Christ, and apart from Christ, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, repeats the idea For in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. You know, when we see that Greek word heaven, we think of where you go when you die. That's, it's really just an interpretation of that. The word cosmos, the, the, the atmosphere, beyond the atmosphere, out into space. And, you know, of course, Paul had no idea what was beyond the clouds, but we know that today. So everything... in the cosmos and on earth, visible and invisible. Christ had a role in creation. And if Christ had a role in that, and if we call ourselves followers of Christ, and if Christ lives in us, then I think we'd take care of it. Yeah. Got a few things at home that belong to dad. And because they belong to dad, I have a 
more intense, more emotional care. I took a picture of myself the other day. I'm getting into this selfie world. It's kind of fun. <laughs> I know I'm late to the game, but anyway, I was at a funeral home, and I was wearing Dad's suit. And I just, with that suit on, I even had his tie on. It just felt like I was clothed in Dad. And that's sometimes a good thing. I just wanted to take care of that suit. If we love God, I think we're just going to love this planet. We're going to want to take care of it. You know, Christianity does not have a good record on caring for the planet at all, especially today. But there have been throughout history Christians, followers of Christ, who've cared for the planet. What does a mosquito have to do with this? We'll go back to the fourth century. There was a there was a saint from Alexandria, Egypt. He is alleged, and I'll say alleged, to have lived for months surrounded by mosquitoes as penance. For one time, he killed a mosquito out of anger. So he put himself in a colony, so to speak, of mosquitoes. Can we even love the mosquito? Not me. <laughs> I'm not there yet. That's a spiritual level I'll never get to. I'll just admit it right here. I do save spiders and little creepy crawly things, but the Quakers, I, that's such a stereotype, and forgive me, the Quakers were so vocal in their railing against slavery, but they were also what we would call today animal rights activists before it was a thing. And then there was this guy, interesting Christian missionary named John Chapman. He went around trying to promote reforestation and the replenishment of the earth. We know him better as Johnny Appleseed. John Chapman or Johnny Appleseed never ate meat because he didn't want to harm animals. If he saw an animal being mistreated, he would offer to buy the animal at a, an outrageous price so the guy couldn't refuse it. And then he would take that animal that he just bought and give it to somebody who's going to treat it kindly. Maybe he lived out the psalmist through whom the Lord says, for every wild animal in the forest belongs to me, as well as the cattle that graze on a thousand hills. And we ought to be more humane to all the animals. I love this, verse 11. I keep track of every bird in the hills. I keep track of every bird in my backyard. Denise even knows them so well. Oh, that's a different bluebird than was here earlier. How do you even know that? Because <laughs> she's God. <laughs> and then look at this. I keep track of the insects of the field. They're mine. The insects are mine. I don't know. I just... I need God's view of things. It changes how I treat things. 
I'm not going to destroy something that belongs to you. You'd have me arrested if I destroyed something that belonged to you. And God said, that's mine. You better be careful how you treat that. That's mine. Hmm. And of course, there's St. Francis. St. Francis called the sun, the moon, and the rain his brothers and sisters because St. Francis believed and taught that all of nature has the same source. That God's mark is on all creation, not just humans. So the theme of Earth Day is invest in our planet. The word invest literally means to clothe in, like a vest. Invest, I clothe in. Or a priest will wear robes called vestments. So to invest in the planet is to clothe yourself in the planet. If you invest in a stock, you're clothing yourself in the stock. You're identifying with that stock. If you invest in the planet, you're clothing yourself in the planet. That's really not that much of a stretch. This theologian and paleontologist Teilhard de Chardin says, the heart of matter is the heart of God. So the life at the heart of all of life is not just energy. The life at the heart of life is presence. The presence of God. Pope Francis said in that same speech I, from which I quoted earlier that everything is connected. The Last Supper, Jesus took the bread and he took the wine and into his hands and he gave thanks for it. And then he said to his disciples, this is my body and this is my blood. There are so many things we can learn from that, but I close with two of them. This is my body, this is my blood. First lesson I learned is there is presence in the matter. There's presence in the bread. There's presence in the wine. There's presence in matter. I'm not saying the bread and wine are divine. I am saying that I believe that those elements are touch points of the divine and for the divine. And when we touch the bread and touch the wine, it's, we're touching a part of divinity. And it goes for the bird and it goes for the rock and it goes for the grass. All, Pope Francis says, is connected. The life of life is not energy, it's presence. It's the presence of God in everything. It's all connected. Second thing I learned is that Jesus handled the bread and the wine with thanksgiving, and maybe there, I know it's a stretch, go with me. Maybe Jesus is teaching us how to treat not just the bread and the wine, but how to treat all, treat all matter, all things, with thanksgiving. Not with violence and not with greed. To be thankful for the, the trees and the flowers and the spiders and the roly-polies. All matter. 
So we're taking communion today. And as you take communion, hold the elements. Because in the elements, there's a presence. I'm not saying the elements are divine. But the elements, as is, as is all of nature, are a touch points for the divine. The Catholic friends called it sacraments, an avenue of grace, a way grace is expressed, a way the divine is expressed. So what we have is wine and grape juice on either end. We have bread in the middle. We have gluten-free kind bars. And in honor of Earth Day, we have gummy worms. So take a gummy worm. As you take the elements, it's not just about you and God. It's about you and me together. It's about all of us and nature together. The communion is not just an individual thing. It's a universal thing. God expresses a desire through the Apostle Paul to unite all things in the cosmos and, and earth, all things, even the roly-poly. It says the same thing to the Colossians, to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in the heavens, in the cosmos. So for Paul, the destiny of humanity is linked to the destiny of nature, of the environment. So when we thank God for these elements, we include all of creation. And then we live in a way that honors creation. 